0: Which I remember like being this kind of like magic kingdom of colors and and just confusion.
1: If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or Zepbound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com weightloss weight loss. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile.
2: Sapnin! Sapnin! You are listening to episode 202 202 of Sapnin Podcast featuring myself, Sean Smith, and my good friend, Morgan Richards! Yes, it's
3: me, Morgan Richards, and this episode is a real page turner, exposing different (sighs) chapters of life and death within the music industry.
2: That was uh, such a feeble (laughs) attempt. But yes, this week's guest is author, journalist, and I believe a friend of mine, Uh, but that's up to him to say, I guess. Yes, this week's guest is author, journalist, Ian Winwood. Yes, a real
3: household name within music journalism over the last three decades. Some of you might be unfamiliar with his name, but I'm positive you've experienced some of his work. Ian's words have covered huge features in Kerrang, The Telegraph, Alternative Press, NME, Rolling Stone, just to name a few, and has even released a collection of books with Metallica and the 19th punk scene with Green Day, The Offspring, Bad Religion, and No FX. He's hugely respected in the industry and gets a lot of close access to these artists. But... Something that's got a lot of people talking as of late is the release of his new book, Bodies, Life and Death in Music. This is a real compelling book diving into the destructive side of the business and how we tolerate things like death, addiction and exploitation. While also telling the stories of musicians like Foo Fighters, Biffy Clyro, Nine Inch Nails and Ian himself in some ways but I won't spoil anything. So today we're going to dive into all of that, really, the sex, drugs, rock and roll, our own experiences. And Ian is someone you've had a lot of history with, Sean.
2: Yes, he wrote uh, one of the covers for Kerrang! that the Blackout were lucky enough to have. Yeah, as you'll hear in this conversation, I was a bit dubious in the beginning because he is renowned for being... Deadly honest with what he thinks. <laughs> so I was shitting myself when he came to Japan to um, to speak to us and to watch us because I thought, well, if he loves Metallica and Green Day, he's definitely going to hate the blackout. He's a legend. He's a legend within the scene. His book is unbelievable. If you are like me and you struggle to sit in one place for ages and check out, you know, finish a chapter or a page even, Check out this book because it was gripping. I literally read half of it in a day because I was so into the story. And it is a perfect capsule of what it's like being in a band, the struggles, the ups and downs that come with that. And it's also the diary of a journalist trying his best to get into the scene and the things that come along with it. So, yeah, check it out. It's a fucking brilliant, brilliant book. The book is called Bodies... Life and death in music and I recommend it to all. All. This was a fantastic chat with Ian. He was very, very open. He gave us so much detail. I'd like to have him on again because I feel like we've got unfinished shit that we should talk about with him. <laughs> yes, but this really is an important book. I've seen so
3: many artists and just people in the industry talking about it, sharing about it and seeing how it's really resonated with them. But one of the chapters is dedicated to the end of Lost Prophets and everything that happened there. Obviously, if anyone is going to talk more about that, it's us. Just go back to episode 200 recently with No Devotion. Um, so expect a lot of different emotions throughout this episode. And of course, we're going to be talking everything from the world of music journalism to mental health, drugs, backstage culture, the highs and lows, what we can do to help artists today as listeners, and there's a lot of reminiscing with his time on tour with The Blackout, and he even Froze Shade, that's some other bands that's worth a listen to. But before we get into everything, a quick reminder, if you enjoy this podcast, if you enjoy what we do, if you want us to continue making this each and every week, please, please go and support us via our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash sapnin, loads of extras, loads of bonuses on there, and you get included into our wonderful community of people that we love so, so much. But without any further ado, this is Life and Death. In music with Ian Winwood on episode 202 of Sapnin Podcast.
2: Yeah, thank you very much, Ian. It's fucking fantastic.
3: Sapnin! Sapnin!
0: What's happening? It's happening?
1: It's
2: happening? Yes! Yay. This week's guest is author, journalist, friend of mine. I like to think I don't know. why I haven't asked him. Um, uh, <laughs> and all-round fantastically good egg, Ian Winwood. Ian, how are you? Well, what a
0: fantastic introduction, Sean. I'm very well. I hope you're well. I hope Morgan, your co-host, is well. Particularly, I hope the listener. And listeners. I I didn't mean you only have one listener. I meant I was talking specifically. The listenership, I hope they too are well in these these uneven times.
3: (laughs) That's probably the kind of start we've had, to be honest. Normally it goes left field, but I'm enjoying this. But Ian, how are you? How are you doing today? I know you're uh, always busy in the world of music journalism, always working on something. What's the kind of day-to-day like for you at the
1: moment?
0: Oh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm good, thank you for asking. Uh, I went yesterday, I'm, I've, I've got a piece to write after I have finished with you. Well, you have finished with me, whichever comes first. <laughs> and it's weird because, because I'm now a, a, a very famous broadsheet writer, you'll, you'll know. And it's weird because for the first time in what I might laughingly describe as my career... I'm not regarded as a member of the rock press. So previously, because I I made my bones on Kerrang! And I still write for Kerrang! And so if I wrote for, you know, little bits for Q or for Mojo, I was always viewed through the prism of being the Kerrang! guy. So it was like being an actor that only ever appeared in horror movies, you know? And then suddenly I somehow made this leap to broadsheet writing. Where they, you know, they'll let me interview, you know, Paul Keaton or Billy Bragg or James Taylor, uh, whatever I really want to do, to be honest. And I thought, oh my gosh, this freedom is amazing. But weirdly, I found myself then wanting to just go back into the cage of Rockwell just a little bit. The point of that preamble is that yesterday I went to uh, the screening of the. Uh, the Ronnie James Dio movie that's the, oh, wow. that's coming out and will doubtless have come out by the time this has been broadcast and found myself interviewing Tony Iommi as the only, uh, only member of the rock press or music press who actually does not like Black Sabbath. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm interviewing Tony Iommi. Just a, little, just a little thing to go with my piece. I'm writing a piece about Ronnie James Dio. I quite like writing what I hope are high quality articles about underdog music. That's my, that's my, I'm most comfortable doing that. Now, I don't particularly love Dio, but what I do love, I don't like it much at all, to be honest with you. I did see him play when I was 14 and he fought a, he fought a fiberglass dragon for what seemed like three weeks. stage even even as a 14 year old i was thinking this is not good this is quite boring actually and slayer and metallica and megadeth were waiting around the corner to capture my attention and in fact i had master of puppets at that point so it was it was the spring of 86 so it was i was already being prized away with this brief brief flirtation but what I did like and what I do like and what I think I'll write about, you know, this afternoon and this evening, however long it takes me to finish the piece. I told you I talked for a long time, didn't I? I did tell you at the start. <laughs> it's fine. We love stories. We love stories. What I like about it is 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 the unselfconscious uh, and unapologetic passion of it. I like the fact that he was playing arenas and then grunge happened and then suddenly playing venues the size of my living room. And we just kept trucking along. And I think there's a lot to be said for that. So that's what I'm
2: doing. (laughs) Yeah, well, well, that's that seems to be like a running theme with you, with the underdog and working class story. So basically, I used to be in a band called The Blackout. The first time I met Ian was the Japan trip, I believe, that we went on. Because a couple of days prior to that, I remember phoning my friend Mike Lewis from Lost Profits and being like, We've got Ian Winwood coming out with us and um he is notorious at telling the truth or oh, yeah, <coughs> the truth he's notorious for telling the truth giving his opinion on bands and I don't think he's going to like us at all. And Mike Lewis said to me you and him will definitely get on. It'll be fine. He's uh, he's a big fan of Metallica and Green Day. And I remember saying to Mike Lewis, that doesn't help me at all in the slight dust. Um, and sadly, I don't like either of those bands. And then I remember Mike Lewis going, it's fine. You're from South Wales. You're from a working class background. He will get you and you will get him. And then, yeah, we met in Japan. And yeah, I like to think that we got on very, very well. And here we are today. So not, not to do a gratuitous
0: plug here, but there is, there is a reason I'm going to say this. The book that I've written, which is called Bodies, Life and Death in Music, I cannot tell you how close I came to putting being in Japan with blackout in the book. And the reason that I did not put them in, and for about two weeks after it was published, I couldn't figure out why I hadn't, is because there's another South Wales band in there who you have just alluded to. So the book is essentially about how the music industry screws people up and, and, and sometimes kills them, but it leaves its mark on everyone in some way or another. It's indelible, and, and it's usually quite easily found. Obviously, the, the, the legacy of The Lost Prophets is, is to you play a word association game with the name of The Lost Prophets, and, and you know what comes up. For the first six years that I knew The Lost Prophets, they were exactly the same or, or I should say the blackout were exactly the same as the, as the last prophets. And, and, and it doesn't really, in that regard, I, I certainly when I'm writing features, I write more about people than music. And I, I loved you. I loved being with the blackout. I, I loved it. That, that trip to, to Tokyo, which is r- ridiculous. And Sean, that was my second time in Tokyo in a fortnight. I'd been there two weeks previously with feeder. And then I was back, back in. That's what, that's what life was like back then. So this is what? Two, the 2007, 2008, are we thinking? It, it was Reese, wasn't it, that, that had taken ill? He wasn't in Japan.
2: That, that had happened. I remember that. That's true. Yes, that's Jesus Christ. I didn't even remember that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and,
0: and, and so, it, so, it's worth mentioning. You were playing a, a, a punk rock sort of festival, but you did your own club date. And I came and I came down to the club on the afternoon, probably either just before or just after sound check. A, a beautiful spring day in Tokyo. The cherry blossoms were out. And you and I went to, we were looking at trainers. You were telling me about uh, collecting trainers. And we'd never met. And there was this song playing in, 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 the, in the shop. Quite a beautiful, fragile sounding song sung by a, a, a woman about how if another woman stole her lover, she would kill this other woman. And I still, re- I still remember this song. And anyways, on part of this trip, we went to a sushi restaurant that was a pirate-themed sushi restaurant. <laughs> this sushi person dressed as a pirate told you a story of this restaurant, which was almost perfectly black. You could, uh, In parts of the restaurant, you could not see your hand in front of your face. I was really struck with it because at that time, I was fortunate to, to just fly all over the world all the time. That was my job. It never stopped being exciting to me. Being with the blackout, I remember you all started singing at one point. <laughs> Fortunately, not a blackout song. It was like <laughs> 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 yeah, and, I just, and I remember this very clearly. And I remember thinking, you're, you're all really delighted to be here. You're all loving each other's company. You're all good friends. Or you're certainly, as far as I can tell, you're all good friends. You're all on this adventure. You're all being creative. And afterwards, we went to a karaoke bar, if you remember. And I think you find out I was the best singer in the party with my, my rendition of Born to Run. And, um, and I just remember thinking, I love these people. and I love these kinds of people. And, and if I were to have, I know this is quite a light-hearted podcast, but if I were to have spoken to you for the book, Sean, I would have asked you how you dealt with that disappearing from your life. You know, you're on stage at, not to get terribly serious, but you're on stage at, you're on stage at, Wembley, at Wembley Arena with My Chemical Romance, getting a really, really good reception. And it must be tempting, I think, certainly for some of us to think, this is ours. And then, for for whatever reason, it just doesn't work out with the blacker. I'm not suggesting your life is is a, is a vista of abject failure, and and you know. I guess what I would have asked you, is it better to have loved and lost in that sense than than, than not to have
2: loved at all? I, I would have. I've always wanted to ask you what it was like to have that and not have it. Do you know what? I'm not sure. I've gone with both. I've gone. I've I've thought. Yeah, it's better to have loved than lost because. So basically, if I hadn't done the band and I had just concentrated on work and you know getting a day job and stuff, maybe I'd be better. Off, maybe I'd be better off now. Financially, do you mean or emotionally? Oh, yeah. Uh, well, this is the thing I don't. Maybe <laughs> you know, both. Maybe, maybe, yeah. <laughs> maybe both because because yeah, the band was such a strain. Kind of when it ended and stuff, and again, lost profits. Kind of well. Ian kind of played a part in that, I guess, because we, we found after everything that came out um, that people kind of... You kind of talk about it briefly in the book about like people blaming and expecting the other guys in Lost Profits to have known what was happening. So people automatically thought, well, me and him were friends, even though they didn't know that we, me, and him, me and Ian stopped speaking about three years before he got arrested. Because he became so weird. It got so dark. At one point, I remember Jamie from Lost Profits messaging me saying, bro, don't think that we all think negatively of you. Hate and darkness has consumed him. And then I saw it. I I realized that's exactly what it was. Yeah, and those boys fucking lost everything. But um, yeah, it was was a strange one for us because I've never wanted to not be in the blackout. Um, I loved every single moment of being there and playing and performing, and but yeah, we got tarnished with a bit of that brush, and then ultimately it kind of led to our demise, I guess. And and it must be strange, Sean,
0: because y- y- you know you've got was it five members? Six, six. six I thought yeah. you know what I thought it was two vocals, and you've got maybe two of you that are, that are coming at it. In a typical scenario, I'm not suggesting this is specifically the blackout. You've got two of you that are like, we can push through this. Look up the other bands that have just pursued this. And other people perhaps are going, do you know what? I'm running out of passion for this a little bit. I can't see this working out. So it's not like you're a solo artist. It's not like you're Ronnie James Dio and you go, I am going to push through this. And the band fractures in weird ways. And it just becomes an an unhappy place. Uh, you know, that stall, stalled, and stalling momentum. It's just, ter- it's just such a terrible thing to see, really. So that, so where I to have put you in the book? And the only reason it's the lost prophets' fault that I didn't put you. In the book. <laughs> it's happened again. It's <laughs> happened again. Is because I thought it, it. It was just such a, a, a such a wonderful time in, in Tokyo. I can't. I can't think of. A, I mean, I had lots of really, really fun trips to to wonderful places, but just in terms of being with really lovely people who I think I understood and understood their pleasure in where we found ourselves. This wonderful and ridiculous notion that we were in Japan for a reason, for a reason. People thought our contribution to our respective fields was worthwhile, flying us to Japan. Kind of funny, but also there was reason to take pride in that. But especially there was reason reason to take real joy in that. It uh, must be a hell of a thing to lose.
2: Yeah. Well, yeah. I remember that. Um, that when we went to that when we went to that Japanese restaurant, there wasn't even an entrance. It was literally a wall that you you like. Walked up to, and then all of a sudden, a pirate ninja would just come out of and be like, in you come. We were like, what the fuck? (laughs) Remember
0: when when we had to walk over a draw? It was like a a, a little guided tour. And I don't want to do this thing that you're from South Wales and I'm from Barnsley, but it is probably relevant. And you're thinking, we don't have to work out how much... 800,000 million yen is for this thing. <laughs> <laughs> into pounds, you know, cause someone's going to take care of it. Just very quickly. Sean, I remember where, after we'd said goodbye, before you played your show, I had like about four hours to kill. And this is the day before. And I was consumed with a wave of jet lag, uh, the likes of which I, 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 I have never, ever known before. And I thought if I can find a park, I'm just going to lay down and go to sleep on the floor. I don't care what social taboos I'm breaking. That's just going to have to happen. And this young blackout fan, Yuki was her name, who, who gave you a gift. And she wrote down for me. So for anyone that knows London, it, 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 was, it was like me going from Camden Town to Oxford Circus, which is two stops on one line and then one stop on another a so Dead simple journey. Back to the hotel so she wrote down for me on a piece of paper the name she said it's really easy you just do this she wrote down the names of the station in japanese and in english and it was really two stops on one line transfer one stop on another line sent me down into the underground which i remember like being this kind of like magic kingdom of of colors and 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 just confusion and walking up to complete strangers just holding this card out as if to say, can you help me get to? And so I did. And by the time I got back to the hotel, I was so delighted with my achievement
2: that I couldn't fall asleep. <laughs>
0: so <laughs> <laughs> oh. so I, just, I just
2: talked to the toilet for a while and then, uh, and then I came back. <laughs> that's crazy. You mentioned Yuki. Like, I'm, I'm still friends with Yuki to this day. Oh, well, that's crazy. That's crazy. That's
0: a crazy world. What I remember most about the gig is that at the end of the song that the crowd would really cheer and then after about 10 seconds, complete silence. And you just, how do you deal with that? You know, people in the UK just talking to each other, shouting at you. Perfect reverent silence. It was really strange.
2: We, we, we'd we finished the song and they would clap and then they would stop. And then I remember Gavin, Gavin bent down to one of the people in the front row and said, how do we say we love you in Japanese? And I was like, Gav, they've all just heard you. Like it doesn't matter. Everyone is so silent. They've heard what you were talking about, and it's just such a magical place, Japan. And yeah, I've loved it every time.
3: It's lovely to hear you guys reminisce about these trips and everything. But um, Ian, there's so much we want to talk to you, and especially with the book. But I don't want to dwell on it too much. But obviously, we've mentioned um everything with Lost Profits and. In the book, you talk to our good friend, Stuart Richardson, who uh, is being on the podcast before. We've kind of talked about the whole topic itself in a lot of previous episodes. But I really wanted to get your kind of insight and opinion on how much the end of Lost Profits and everything that came out at that time really affected the alternative music scene in the 2010s because it seemed for me as a fan growing up in that scene... There were so many bands around. It was really healthy. there was loads of people touring friendships, and all that were made. But with everything that happened there, it kind of hindered a, a lot of those bands, because profits were such was someone who would take young bands out as, as support and trying to give other people a platform. and it seemed to have really a, a domino effect on the U.K. alternative music scene for quite a few years. I was just wondering what your thoughts were about everything going on at that time.
0: To be honest with you, I hadn't, I hadn't considered that aspect of it uh, until five minutes ago, ten minutes ago, when Sean said the idea that being tarred with that brush, I mean, did I never believe and, and, and continue not to believe and even feel bad raising the issue that I don't believe it, that the band were in any way aware of what Ian's actions were. Because just think about it. How are you going to keep that conspiracy quiet? It's just, how are you not going to tell your wife? How are you not going to be burdened by it? So we, let's just dismiss that completely. I don't, bands are, are fascinating organisms. In that band, what happened was that they split into two camps. One camp had five people in it and the other camp had one deranged. Person. I think what's really fascinating and why and and the, the the prophets and what I wanted to do with that chapter was I, I hoped to reclaim some of the humanity of the other members of the band who had their life's work ruined through no fault of their own. I don't know what Sean's take on Ian's decline. Until the truth came out, what, what he thought was happening, what Sean thought was happening. But I and everyone I know just assumed in the book I describe it as routine ruinations behind which he could so easily hide, which is drugs, chaotic living, unstructured living, uh leading a disease. an awful case of lead singer disease, but nonetheless, and just the stuff that we've seen before to a real, to a very troubling degree, but nothing more or less than that.
2: Yeah. I saw, I saw him go from someone who seemed to be in love with what he was doing to be someone who found drugs became so bitter and dark and resentful. One of the last times we ever spoke he drove me from Pontyprieth back to my hometown of Murtha, and he um, he spent the whole car journey slagging off Jared Leto. Jared Leto's coming and taking everything I've worked for. Was he? Why did he just stick to fucking acting? This is my fucking world. And I remember being like, "Bro, if you just concentrate on making the best record you can, that's all that fucking matters." Fuck, what are doing? All of that stuff started to eat at him and consume him, I think.
0: And, and, and the, the the tragedy of that in a creative sense is that by becoming that person, he became the Lost Prophet's weakest link by far. An embarrassment, actually, even. Similarly, I make reference in the book. I don't, I don't name the band. The band, I gave a, a five-star review to, to a Biffy Clyro album, to Puzzle, which is a 5K five, a five, oh, five yes. album, and he was... This was my first red flag. Not that he was, you know, a a deranged pedophile, because who, who would have reasonably guessed at that? But that he was becoming someone, not only that I didn't recognize, but that I did not like. He gave me a really hard time that I'd given this album 5Ks. And like you were saying, Sean, about his reaction to Jared Leto, it was as if this was somehow... Being extracted, uh, uh, he was somehow paying for this 5k review. Like, I could only, I was only allowed to give one 5k review a year. And because it had gone to Biffy Claro, that meant the best that the Lost Profits could hope for is 4k at 4ks. Now, of course, of course, bands uh, like authors, like, like authors, we look, you know, we look at how other authors are doing. And we, you know, if we've met the other authors and we like them, we want them to do well but we don't want them to do 50 times better than we are. But we hope, <laughs> we hope that the scene is, is good. You know, we appear together at, at live events. There, there are similarities. But for me to, you know, it, it, Ian had reached the point where it would be like me, actively wishing that Pete Petitis or Jude Rogers or Adele Stripe or authors or any other great music books that are out at the moment failed miserably and despising their existence. And, and also, it was tiring and boring as well. He was a boring man at that point. I went to um, the Brixton Academy on, on Sunday, which is now a Tuesday that we're doing this, to see Frank Turner. And I was sort of in the dressing room area. And that, that was the first time I'd been there since the last time the Lost Prophets played. Which was only a few months before Ian's arrest. This would have been May 2012, and he was arrested in December. I interviewed him afterwards. I make reference to this in the chapter. Five years ago, they played Wembley Arena, which is 12,000 people. On the tour previous to that one, they'd done two nights at Brixton, which is about eight and a half thousand people. And this time, they'd done one night at Brixton. So that's still, and it wasn't sold out, but it was full. So let's say it was 4,000 people out of the 4,200 capacity. And I interviewed him in the, in the, in the like a little room next to the dressing room uh, after the show. And he said, you, you look, and I I raised this point because he was unmanageable as an interviewee at this point. And this was the second time that I had, um, I had interviewed him in, 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 and, and, and had him be like this. And I, I was, I'd had enough of it. Uh, and he said, You watch uh, in the next, I think he said in the next 10 years, we will be playing multiple multiple nights at the O2 Arena, which is for anyone that doesn't know, it's 20,000 seats. Bands do not go from 4,000. He said in a couple of years, Bands do not go from 4,000 seaters to to playing at least 40. Bands do not increase their popularity tenfold, at least in the space of two years when their fortunes are on the decline. And the reason that they're on the decline is because the band is fractured because of their sing. And I told him him he was talking out of his, his posterior, and that was the last time we ever spoke. He was unmanageable. Uh, And and also something else interesting happened. I was just hanging out. It's not my business to be friends with people in bands, but there are exceptions to the rule. And the musical core of the Lost Prophets were uh, were one of those exceptions. So we were just hanging out in the dressing room beforehand. I don't know if if the relationship can be expected to know this, but more often than not, artists are at the venue all day. On tour. It's a really weird way to live. Everything about touring is intense, including the boredom, right? So they're just in the dressing room and Ian showed up. I swear to God, it must have been five minutes before they went on stage, which is unthinkable. It's unthinkable that someone would do that. And he swept into the dressing room. It was one of those rare rare occasions when I followed them down to the stage, watched the first song from The Wings, and then went front of house. Almost got busted for taking cocaine at the venue, but talked my way out of it. I had so much cocaine on me. That was a really close call. Uh, And... uh, and I don't know why I'm laughing. I don't know why I'm laughing. And they swept into the venue. And I remember this as if it had happened before we started this conversation. But the two parties kind of warily nodded at each other. And that was the only, no, why are you so late? No, how have you been? Is everything been okay? We're going to have a good show. No, even...
1: Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your
0: purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN.
1: If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound. And you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet PlushCare. Care a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss.
0: Tennyson, I looked and I guessed, I thought they hate him. And mm. I've had that confirmed in spades since then.
3: Well, Ian, let's dive in a little bit more to the book Bodies, Life and Death in Music. It's uh reaching number one best seller on Amazon. So congratulations on that. No, but
0: not on the overall not on the overall chart. Take it.
3: No. It's you've got the sticker next to it. Take it. That's what I say. That's what I say. But like obviously this really goes into a lot of the kind of destructive side of the music business and drugs and sex and rock and roll and everything like that, but what was the original inspiration for you to, to do this book Being already being an author and looking at different bands and scenes in the past? Why, why was life and death in music something that really spoke to you?
0: I cannot, Morgan, honestly recall what the genesis of the idea was. Um, apart from I knew that the most interesting stories that I had to tell involved me. I didn't want to just write a memoir. So it's sort of my shorthand answer to what the book is about. It's about how the music industry makes people ill. But it's sort of about more than that as well. And certainly, you know, to, to, to do a slightly longer shorthand version... It's two books in one. It's the stories of, of other people and other musicians that I've encountered intertwined with my, my own life in, in, in music. It's also a book about a father and a son as well. And that, that's the only part that I don't talk about because there's a big reveal in the middle of the book that I, that I try to keep under wraps. How I write, I don't really have satisfaction uh, the weakest part of my game is talking about this specifically. So f- fast forward for three minutes, listeners, and you're not going to. <laughs> if you, if you, Morgan or Sean or any of people listening, remember the scene in, in I think it's the first Wallet, Wallace and Gromit scene where they are riding on a toy train and Gromit is laying the track as the train goes along. That's how I write. I don't really think things out. I just sit down and start writing. So the book took shape as I was writing. The downside to this is that I wrote, at first, I wrote half of the book that was completely rubbish. Overall, the technique required, and it wasn't because I put lots of, it wasn't difficult because I put lots of stuff. Very, very personal information of me in, in states of terrible and actually even life threatening disrepair in there. That I've actually found that quite easy to do. What it was, what was incredibly difficult, fiendishly difficult, maddeningly difficult was writing it in a way that people would stay with me. You know, that I didn't just sound self pitying or like I was somehow bragging about this, getting the tone and the voice of the book right. Looking back on it now, I mean, it's not that long ago that, you know, it was published, you know, in the spring. Looking back on it now, I, I'm really pleased. I, mean, I, I can't write a better book than, than this, you know, I, uh, certainly at that time. I might have learned a few things that I can use going forward. But the aspect of the book that isn't about me, musicians I, I, I recently watched well, and finished it last week. I wrote a little Postscript chapter, which will be coming in the next edition of the paperback. And musicians, in my experience, lack the vocabulary with which to describe things that are legitimate complaints. They say things like, oh, I don't like to complain because lots of my friends have proper jobs. They use that phrase all the time, proper jobs, as if their job isn't proper. And it is a proper job. It's just not a normal job. But if you don't think of it as being proper, then it's improper. You know. And if it's improper, it's invalid. And you are weak using that language. And you are open to exploitation. And you are open to working yourself into the ground. Uh, and they worry that they are, that they sound as if they are complaining or being wimps or, or whatever. So, so, two things that just very quickly. If a musician has written, risen, a music maker has risen to the point where you know their name, you as a member of the public, I'm, I'm addressing the listenership here, you as a member of the public know this person's name, know this fan's name. They are already tough, right? They have already spent years in a van, sleeping on floors, playing to empty venues, facing rejection. They've already gone through more than you can realistically be expected to understand. So, if now when they reach the point where you do know their name, if they're and these are real examples that have happened recently, if they are Yard Act, for example, or Arlo Parks or Sam Fender, and they say, I am taking time away, I'm knackered, I need to work on my mental health, I'm broken was one of the descriptions. Believe them, they're not being wimps. You might think. That this life is, is 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 desirable in every way, even the things that sound kind of chaotic, they still sound exciting. These are the people on the ground, and if they're telling you they're knackered and they need to take a month or two months or three months off, believe them because they've already gone through more than you can realistically be expected to understand. So I think I think what I didn't realise when I was ra- writing it is that that aspect of the book. Morgan is me trying my, is me speaking for them, you know, because I do not work in the music industry. I am in the music industry, but I work for, for, for newspapers and for book publishers. That's how I am, the, 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 the promoters and the managers and the, the complex structure, the, 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 the chaotic and, and sometimes the structure. I'm not part of that. They cannot lay a glove on me. The bands themselves cannot lay a glove on me. So I can speak independently. And, 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 it, and I guess it was my attempt to, to, to speak up for them. Did that answer your question? Did that answer your question <laughs> at all? Yeah, no, it does.
3: And we enjoy, we enjoy the stories and everything are of, of going off on that. But there, I think a lot of people in music lately are no longer with us because of their mental health. And I think that's being a subject that's come up a lot more recently you just got to look at some of the 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 big names over the last few years including Chris Cornell and Chester Bennington with everything you said there do you do you feel like people aren't really reading between the lines enough of what they are actually saying at the time because they're not able to express themselves as much as they want what's really going on and what's really bothering them
0: no yeah I I I do and I think I think I think I think a simple thing of it is economics. You can listen for music for free now, and because you can listen to it for free in a financial sense, for the music makers, recorded music is all but worthless. Oh, it's certainly diminished to the point of being negligible. So if, you, so, so if in, the, in the before times, if you're old enough to, 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 to remember this, if you used to, that's my cat meowing, by the way. <laughs> uh, if, if you, if you, she agrees with me. If you used to buy or pay for, pay, pay, the, you know, pay money, uh, buy, you know, buy on iTunes, for example, two albums a month. If you're able to continue to do that, fill your boots with, with stuff and streaming to hear it if you like, but nominate two, two albums a month to buy. If audiences did that, this idea that, it, that it's free is it's really bad. It's really bad news. It, it's just about it marking people in different ways. I'm going to be indiscreet here, but on the South Wales tip, uh, I was out in the summer interviewing the Chats, who are who are, who are oh, nice a, a band from Brisbane, who are the most challenging interviews, interviewees. <laughs> really? Wow. They just seemed to have no concept what an interview uh, was about. So I'd ask them a question, and they, they'd, they weren't being rude. They'd speak for a sentence, and then just go, yeah, mate. And, and it was like, how am I supposed to get a story out of this? Anyway, so I, they played this little Kerrang show at, at this tiny, really tiny bar uh, up, up near Hackney Way. Clacton, I think it might have. Some, a part of London I'd never been to before, and I've lived in London for 30 years. <laughs> so uh, let's call it an unloved quarter. And Karang's freelance designer was there, who I don't know if you know, Sean, is is, is Kids and in was, Glass Houses. In, the kids, in Kids in Glass Houses. Now, I'm yeah. going to tell this story because Allard said he was reading my book, and if he liked it, he'd give me a supportive tweet, and he hasn't done that. <laughs> I the, the details of a private conversation and i said to him you know do you i mean the, the kids in glass houses weren't as successful as the black owl. but they they were certainly had you know they were certainly having a moment and i said you know do you, do you do you i told him what the book was about and i said it's also about just having it and losing it or having it you know for a little bit for a little.'" To a certain level and losing it and, and and how that sticks to people how do you then go an everyday job i'm thinking oh god i was i, I played i played at hyde park with Soundgarden, you know and he said no no not really not at all and then proceeded to spend the next 15 minutes and more actually talking about how the band fell apart and, <laughs> um, you know, resentments with people and bad management and bad being on bad record companies and, and lost opportunities. And, and I thought, I'm not, sure you're, I'm not sure you're making the compelling case that you think you are, that this hasn't happened Because <laughs> me asking that question has led to you just, just really, almost like he was talking to himself. And then I noticed that the Slam Dunk Festival next year, they're on the bill. People, people can't leave it alone. They cannot leave it alone. And I find
2: that really fascinating. It's like me. Like, it's never left me. According to me, I'm the only one who didn't quit the blackout. So, right. Sean, Sean Smith's the blackout still exists. So, if so, exists. Say, so in a way, the, the blackout, they're just, they're
0: just in, in hibernation, ready to go. <laughs> do, you see, do, you see, do you see yourselves? Because you and Bob, and I loved Bob. And please send him my love. I remember him t- 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 talking to me in a bar in Tokyo and him telling me about Slayer and about the riff to Raining Blood that's called the Spider Rift. I just really, really liked him. I thought it was great. Possibly a serial killer on the quiet. <laughs> we,
2: we all think of that. Yeah, we've all thought that. The thing is, I don't, think, I don't think he's got it in him to be a serial killer. He's very, very high on the um, suicide, maybe suicide take her out of other people type, I've got, yeah, type thing. Okay. If he does mass murder people, it'll be with himself included. So, so
0: please send him my love. <laughs> <laughs> and and, and, um,
2: and, and you, so you have a musical thing with him, don't you? You have a you have a group. Yeah, we do a band called Raiders together as well. So um, you look
0: at Funeral for a Friend. I mean, Funeral for a Friend, we've got a good thing going on because they seem mm. to do it on a, on a, not quite part-time, but, he, but, but sort of episodic, let's say that. Basis and and throw decent crowds and now kids in glass houses. I mean, they. I mean, they're neither here you nor know, there, are they? Let's be honest. No one likes that band. Uh, they're, uh, they're, everybody hates those people. I'm, I, I, I am doing this humorously, Alan. I mean, if you're listening, I'm doing this humorously. No one remembers who they are.
3: <laughs> That's the thing. I think once you're in the band, once you're in the music industry, it is a, a drug.
2: And you can't yeah, escape it. Very really. much so. Very much so. That's what leads other people to drugs as well, <laughs> is that the, the, the love of the music, I think, has run out, or the passion, or you're not getting the audience feedback anymore. So you, you end up doing cocaine or... But also, you come off stage,
0: and, you know, whether it's the, the, Card- the Cardiff Barfly, or whether it's the Principality Stadium, at what is nominally bedtime, and people are screaming at you. And you think, I mean, how do you... How do you? I remember t- I took my... She was my girlfriend at the time. She's now my wife. This little story is in the book. She'd never been to an arena rock show. She's slightly younger than me, so she was about 35 at the time. And I just couldn't conceive that someone that was 35 had never been to an arena rock show. Uh, and I thought, wait, have you been... Are you Amish? Have you been... Have you been... <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Have you been in prison? I took it to see uh, Def Leppard and Cheap Trick at the O2. I thought this is is going to be a good example of this, as it is possible to find. And I was surprised. I'm not particularly a Def Leppard fan, although I do rather like Cheap Trick. And I was surprised how pleased I was that I picked this concert to kind of show off my world. And Def Leppard came on, and they had the they're the, the known in the trade as ego Raps, the walkway that extends from the front of the stage uh, in, into the, into the standing section on the floor. And Joe Elliott walked out at the end of the song, and the band, you know, struck down the song, and the crowd were going, you know, crazy. And she looked at me, my my then girlfriend, my now wife, and said, "How do they come down after this?" And I'm, uh, you know, and and, and I, I thought, I thought, I'm not sure I've ever quite considered that. And she said, "What time do they go to bed?" And I'm like, <laughs> "About
2: five hours after you do." Yeah, it's a strange one. Yeah, because you come off stage and you're still buzzing. You've had, you know, whether it's a couple of hundred people or a couple of thousand people screaming at you, mm. and then you've got to go back to a hotel where you're on your own. But funnily enough, I watched a clip of. One of One Direction talking about it the other day. I can't remember which one it was. It might be Liam Payne, I think it was. And he was talking about how he ended up going off the rails because you'd be out there performing to thousands of girls screaming your name. Then you're back at the hotel where he's got a security guard outside his hotel so he can't leave, so nobody can come in. He can't leave. And then he he was just finding himself just going wild on the minibar just because there's nothing nothing to do and you need to get to sleep and... Yeah, it's the, I think it's the same across the whole, the whole thing, I guess. We do it for the buzz. We do it, we, we're in a band because we want that buzz. And then we get that buzz and we're like, ah, oh, I'm on my own with this buzz. It's fucking, it's a, yeah, it's a very weird life. And I'd like, the,
0: I'd like this buzz to continue. And this is a slightly different form of buzz, but it's a buzz. But that's the thing as well. I'm not suggesting these problems, particularly the drugs and alcohol aspect of it. Which isn't, that isn't the only problem, but it's clearly an issue. I'm not suggesting that then, I say this right at the start of the book, I'm not suggesting that this is exclusive to the music industry. But in the music industry, the bar is really high. It's really high. What is a quiet Tuesday night? What is a regular Tuesday night in the music industry is a wild Friday night, you know, for for my wife and, her friends, you know? You know, being plastered at 2 a.m. on a Tuesday is not only tolerated, it's celebrated. You're a a, a God amongst men if you manage that, you know? And one of the things I was really careful to do in the book is not to sort of be judgmental about that, to be disapproving, because God knows I recognize that world, and God knows I I enjoy that world, and I enjoy the energy of it, and I really love music people. They really are my people, more, more than writers, actually, probably, even though I'm not a music maker myself. So it's just like, well, this is obviously, this is great. This is so much fun, these, you know, this crew of creative people and misfits and, and you know, kind of carnies. And, and just, it would just be nice if they could stop dying or, or emerging, you know, when, it's, when the ride is over for them at whatever point they, you know, they, they, they're required to step off it. You know, in need of grief counselling or, or, or with some kind of post-traumatic stress
2: disorder, really. Yeah, I suggested I suggested this like a couple of years after the blackout finished, because I had gone through depression and stuff like that myself. Um Related to related to that oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Related to the band uh splitting up and yeah, just losing but basically losing everything I'd ever wanted that I had there, I guess. Um but yeah, I remember mentioning to I think it was Kerrang. I spoke to Nicola. I think it was Nic- Nicola I spoke to about it and I was saying that there should be some sort of help, like post band help for bands, because we none of us know what the fuck. Like so basically I spent nearly fifteen years in the blackout and after it I had nothing to show. Like I was like, well, if YouTube goes, that's all the videos gone. I've got a couple of Kerrang magazine covers on the wall.
0: One of, one of one of which written by me, I might add.
2: <laughs>
0: I, think, I think I think I did two cover stories. You're right, and all you've got. All, so all you've got that's that's uh, tangible uh, uh, until you, you know, God forbid, your you know your mental hard drive deteriorates. Are these wonderful memories of being, you know, uh, did, did you do Warp to, you know, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> we did. Yeah. Uh, uh, of of, of, of they, they're special to you. But in the grand scheme of the industry, and this is the real tragedy, it's, the, it's amazing to you and special to you. And, and, and there will be a select number of those groups that go on to more commercially successful things. I don't mean better things, more commercially successful things. And there will be a proportion that just, you know, fizzle out. But there's always a long line of people waiting to take the place. And the music industry doesn't really care. Uh, whether it's the blackout or whether
2: it's subsequently you, me, at sakes or whether it's, you know. Well, that's what I found out. That one of the things I found out was how quickly after the blackout announced we were splitting up, how quickly everybody who I thought was a friend in the music industry completely disappeared or couldn't help anymore. So just before we announced we were splitting up, I went and I met up with a BBC radio DJ, because I said, oh, I'm really interested in getting into radio or something like that. And they were like, oh, you'd be a, such a good radio presenter. And I was like, oh, that'd be amazing. Let, um, You know, let me come and shadow you. I'll make tea for you for whatever until, you know, until I can, I can get a job or whatever. And they said yes. And then a week later, we announced we were splitting up and I messaged the person. I didn't hear back. So then, over the next three months, I must have messaged him six times, including, like, three texts, maybe three Facebook messages. I heard nothing back, right? And I was fucking desperate at this point, because I had no idea. I had no idea what to do next. Luckily, Matthew Pritchard from Dirty Sanchez exists, and he gave me a job at his tattoo shop as, like, manager. Otherwise, I'd have been fucking up shit's creek. What happened was that person who, uh, the radio DJ... Um, they got in touch with me in, I think it was February 2009, either February, no, February 2020, when we had, um, we had mass floods in South Wales. Mm. They got in touch with me asking me, would I get the Blackout back together to play a charity gig for them for um, one of the venues that had fucking been flooded out? And I was like, that's typical. That is exactly yeah. it. And and the thing is, they replied to me going, oh, I've only just seen these messages oh, like yeah, five yeah. years. Yeah. They went, oh, I've just seen these messages. Oh, you've got a podcast now. That's doing well. And I just thought, fuck you forever. Fuck you it, Because that's, that's, that's what happened. It's like all, all our friends in bands, all our friends in the music industry, and people that we, I know that we made thousands of pounds, if not hundreds of thousands of yeah, pounds yeah, for, yeah. completely fucking disappear when you're not worth anything anymore. And that's one of the worst parts. It must be,
0: and I, I, I mean this. I, I, I mean this with absolute truth. It must be awful. It must be sit. It must be sickening for literally hundreds and thousands of bands, You know this, this, this grief, and having no way of articulating it, particularly because by definition, no one cares. No one cares.
2: Yeah. Like you said earlier as well, like bands just think, well, I can't complain about this because other people are working proper, you know, like you said earlier, like proper nine to five jobs. There should be some sort of mental health system or something like a set up for people in bands. And yeah, I talked to somebody about it at Kerrang and it kind of never went any further really, but there should be something because as soon as you come out of a band, people are fucking lost. Like,
0: that, that's, that, that's such a good idea. In in the book, uh, I speak to Chris McCormack, who used to be in a band called Three Colours Red, couple of top twenty albums, Bush uh, and he made that point as well. This kind of even when it's happening, he said, "Never mind the drugs; that's a whole different thing. That's that's it, it's 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 the success that's a drug. At the drug." This Frank Turner gig on uh, on on Sunday at Brixton. One of the bands on the bill, four-band bills, so the, the second band on called Pet Needs, so I rather like. And they're playing Brixton Academy. They're from Colchester. They're touring in a van. And what, to me, front of house looks like slightly more than polite applause because it's a good-natured crowd. Frank produced the album. He's taken them out, you know, across America. So it's slightly more than, than polite applause, but it's not their crowd. And, and I'm aware of that watching it because I've seen a thousand concerts, you know, honestly. Uh, and I, I was thinking from the stage, from them as the stage, from them on the stage, it, must, it probably looks quite different. It probably looks like they're bringing the house down to them. They're playing the Brixton Academy where they've perhaps seen bands Perhaps you know they, they, he made the singer Johnny made reference on stage to having seen the Sex Pistols DVD, which was "There'll Always Be in England," which was filmed at, at Brixton Academy. So for them, it's a really, spe- really incredibly special moment. For the people in the audience, it's quite a routine moment, and you need to be aware of of, of that. And I'm not sure they can expect to be. And so the idea of where you are and what you're achieving, if you're not careful, if you're not skeptical, becomes inflated and you you think you're high, you think you're flying higher than actually you are. It's not your crowd. You borrowed that crowd. Well,
3: uh, well, Ian, we don't want to take up too much of your time because you know well, we've I've, got I've, a I deadline. Think I think
0: you're have up plenty of yours. <laughs> I've, I've, barely, I've barely spoken to you on this. I'm sorry.
3: <laughs> That's fine. But there's, there's, a, there's a bunch of things I would like to ask you quickly before we, um, as we start to wind down on this. And obviously with the book, one thing I've noticed online is that it seems to have resonated with a lot of people within the industry, within people in bands and kind of behind the scenes and in different uh, job roles and stuff as well like i know obviously frank turner and simon neal are kind of forwarded the the book but i've seen posts by likes view me at six feeder there's presenters and really big editors of music um uh, outlets at the moment just really talking about this book why do you feel it's connected with them so much and is there anyone in particular whose feedback you've had this kind of um, shocked you or just kind of moved you or, or, or thought, oh, wow, they, they get what this book is supposed to be about?
0: Yeah, I think it's in... in I'm not going to launch into another 15-minute answer here, Morgan, but I think that it, it, it's, it's, it's always lovely as an author when people respond. It is particularly lovely when... Because it's kind of like the, the equivalent of, of playing a gig and people applauding. It's the closest we get. It's been particularly lovely when music makers and and people who know the terrain about which I've written do so because I have never been in a band. I I have only observed this. So really, it's educated guesswork, but the world as I've described it is is I'm guessing. So to have them say, this resonated with me, I recognize this, You've, you've described this correctly, is very important to me. Yes, specifically, I can tell you of two examples, and, and, and we're going back to where we began, really. I hope they don't mind me saying this, uh, but Stuart contacted me. I showed Stuart the chapter before it was published. I wasn't giving him copy approval, but I, I, I wanted to, to show him it. Uh, and he wrote back very, very, very approvingly and very movingly. And that was that for a couple of weeks. And then I got another email from him saying that he had decided to undergo therapy specifically for the, for the trauma of, of wreckage of, of the group at the hands of Ian Watkins. Now, for anyone that doesn't know Stuart, uh, Stuart was my always my favorite member of the Lost Prophets, although I loved them all. Don't get me wrong, and I loved Ian until the point that he became unmanned. Stuart is not a kind of therapy kind of a guy mm. you, you you know it's more easily imagine him dealing with his problems by pulling the head off heads off Rottweilers, you know rather than talking to a therapist so that was that was really, really lovely. Uh, and then subsequently, Mike Lewis, who you also mentioned, Sean, messaged me to say that he had been dreading reading the chapter, but actually found it quite cathartic, surprisingly cathartic. So to, have to you know, because I am dealing, particularly that chapter, but other, cha- other chapters in the book when people have spoken to me specifically the the drummer from Frightened Rabbit, whose brother, the singer, committed suicide. He spoke to me. That's that's precious cargo. Parts of the book are funny, but that that's precious cargo. I'm dealing with. Now. So to have you know Stuart and Mike, you know, contact me and say say things like that. It's like okay, good. At least I didn't. How can I say this properly? I mean, I'm, I'm tempted to use a glib phrase like drop the ball, but at least at least
2: I did it properly that's the key to the success of this book so far and i believe that it'll get bigger and bigger because it should do everybody should check it out it's because it resonates so much you have nailed absolutely what it's like being in a band what the ups and downs are like and how it can happen to anybody and yeah you've completely nailed it and um yeah that's very lovely with this station as i was saying before we got um started like i've I had a, um, I started a read through again today and I got up at eight o'clock this morning and I'm probably just more than halfway through the book again today. Now, I am so riddled with ADHD that for me to read past a chapter without going on my phone or checking Twitter or looking at a, looking at a squirrel in a tree opposite me or anything at all is a fucking miracle. So this book... I cannot stress is so fucking good that it kept my attention, and I'm going to carry on reading it as well as, as soon as we finish this. So
0: I'll, I'll take that. I'll take that all day. <laughs> I'll take that all day. I mean, having a reader for someone, you know, making a reader of someone that, and I, you know, I don't, I don't discriminate between people who read books and people who don't. But, you know, there's book clever and there's clever. Uh, uh so uh, that's not the issue to, to make a reader of someone that isn't ordinarily perhaps a reader in that sense i'll take that all day i'll take that all day john
3: and ian obviously you've been kind of you know you've been doing this for over 30 years now oh, a long time
0: will do. a
3: long time right, a okay. long time i meant sorry i just you know word vomit there You've worked for many different publications. You've worked on other books and uh, looking at kind of punk rock in the 90s and Metallica and day to day. Is there still little goals you set yourself for things you want to achieve or just getting people's stories out there? Is there any other books you kind of feel like you have left in you still to write? I,
0: I'm, I'm sure I do have books in me. Uh, it's a question of thinking about what they are. It, it bodies is quite a hard act to follow in terms of thinking of another idea. I won't lie to you. In terms of what the... I'm fortunate, Morgan, in that when I wanted to become a music journalist at the age of 14, and actually not even that, I, I wanted to write for Koran from the age of 14. It took me a while to get there, but I, I, I achieved that. The thing that I most wanted to do was write. I think I wanted to have a byline as well. For anyone that might not know, apologies if I'm mansplaining. Byline is when you have your name, it, tells you, it gives you na- the name of the writer. I don't think I, don't think I can, I've even perhaps consciously noticed that a lot of these writers appear to be filing stories from different cities all over the world every week. Uh, so it wasn't like, oh, I, I, can't, I, I really hope to you know, get to fly over, you know, to the, to the States for more than 150 times, which, which that's actually what happened. So when I had that, it was kind of, when that all happened, it was kind of just like a fabulous bonus, really. This idea that yeah, I would go to Los Angeles three times, three times in a month, which actually happened. And so when that was taken away, because music journalists don't do that anymore, that really wasn't that big a deal to me. I get intense joy and a, a great job satisfaction from writing a piece to the best of my abilities, and that's why I still the, enjoy doing this very much. But 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 bodies is is, the, is be above and beyond that, really. Yeah. Uh-
2: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince.
3: I just want to ask as well, how did you feel after completing the book? Because I imagine this was quite a hard thing to write in a lot of ways. Personally for you, you go into a lot of real emotional things. You've talked about a lot of real dark topics within music and different people's lives. At the end of it, did you kind of feel, was there kind of a sign of of relief because it was such an intense project or did you kind of feel you being able to break down barriers a lot writing this?
0: Probably, probably, perhaps Sean will recognize this. When Sean has finished an album, when the Blackout finished an album, if you've done it absolutely to the best of your ability and you've left it all out on the field, to use another sporting analogy, there is that weird period between it being finished and it being published or released, which in the case of Bodies was a couple of months. And it was this strange stillness where it, it, it had gone to the printers. I could not do I could, it, it was impossible to, to, to me to make any more changes. And I was making changes on the day it went into publication, oh, the, wow. the day went into press. Too much tutting and spying and annoyance from, from, from Faber and Faber, my publisher. And this is highly irregular, Ian. But you know, just I'd wake up in the middle of the night and think, "Oh God, that that word literally, that word's not right. That sentence should go." So anyway, and then I just, I, I mean, I look at the book now, and there are occasional bits that I, am not sure I could do it better, but I could do, and I'm talking about minute details differently. But I'm very sanguine about that because I could not have looked at it any closer than I did. I, I would it. it, I, it, it Became an obsession, getting it right. I, I use that word with pride, but it was an obsession, and now it's gone. I, I can honestly say I did my best. But what then happened? I'll do this really quickly. I was asked to narrate the audio book, so if your listeners like the sound of my slightly top end, mostly Yorkshire, <laughs> little bit London accent, you can have ten and a half hours of it. And I had to go and record the audio book. Uh, This was in March, uh, toward the end of March, at a a recording studio near Kilburn. And it was like having a job. I'd have to get there every day for for, for a 10 a.m. start and and work till 6 p.m. And it was quite nice for a week. And it was quite nice because I'd get up and I'd go to work, which I, I don't do normally. I work from home and it's quite regular stuff. And I, 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 got, I got a call from, the, from a guy at The Guardian as I was walking to, 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 to my first shift on the Monday morning. Uh, and he had a question that, that for, for the review of the book that he was writing. The writer's name is Alex Petridis, fantastic writer. And I, I'd never spoken to him before. And I said, Alex, I've got to be really quick because I'm about to start recording the audio book. And Alexis wrote the the Elton John book that uh, that was published a couple of years ago. He said, "Yeah, a- a Elton was uh, was supposed to narrate the audio book, and they they ferried all the all his audio book. You know, Elton John's. He was also supposed to narrate my audio book, <laughs> and and, and, they, and they and they transported all this kind of mobile recording gear down to his villa in the south of France." And he did, he did an hour's worth of narration and said, no, can't, no, I'm not doing that. And so they, got, they had to get Taryn Egerton to, to then do the narration. Uh, so I'm walking in, I'm thinking, oh, Christ, what is this going to be like? And Ruth, my wife who works in publishing, had told me all sorts of horror stories about people, you know, just, just bailing after a couple of hours. And I sat down, and you sit down with this little iPad, or uh, in, in, in a studio, it's like I'm recording vocals. And, uh, and I just read the book and there's an engineer in the next room at the, at the console who I can see through a glass window. And if I make it the tiniest mistake, we have to stop and go back to this, the beginning of the sentence. And I read the entire book out loud and the purpose of this long and meandering, and I hope at least partially the story, is that I realized then that I had written something that I would be happy to talk about on podcasts such as this, which incidentally, is the only bloody podcast I actually wanted to be on, and it's taken six months to get on it. <laughs> but, but it's better later than never, and, and that was the moment, Morgan, if this answers your question, that I, that I really realized because I really enjoyed the experience. I kept forgetting I'd written it, I was like, this this is quite good, this is good. This is-. And it's like, of course it is, you wrote it, you know what's coming. <laughs> and, and I think that, that had I cut corners on it or just, you know, not really risen to the challenge that the book, and, and made the book what it deserves to be, <laughs> that would have been a miserable week. That would have been such a miserable week, thinking you haven't done your best here. That would have been... The gr- one of the grimmest weeks of my life and I've had a few grim weeks in my life just very quickly when you're reading an audio book this is a surprise because you keep taking breaths To you need to burp a lot uh, and apparently this, this is uh, commonplace for all audio book uh, uh, narrators so there are actors that earn a living from doing it having to stop and burp and just very quickly one of the actors you remember Adder? yeah yeah Right. Yeah. Do, you remember, do you remember Bob in Blackadder? She now narrates audio books. And I met her. She was in the studio. There's like various recording booths. I think they had four or five. I met her at the coffee machine and we we're just having a chat. And I'm thinking, I'm looking at her thinking, I know you. I know you. And, uh, and my engineer looked up who was on the booking list. And, um, and, and it was her. Like, that story didn't come out routed right before. Like, <laughs> sure. So I met I met someone I used to fancy on the telly, but I didn't yeah. know who she was. That's where right, I'm going to listen to that bit and go off to Christ again.
3: <laughs> well, Ian, this conversation is being brilliant. I think we've touched on a lot of different emotions and just aspects of music that a lot of people don't really see day to day. So thank you so much for taking oh, the time no, to thank do this. You. Thank you for writing a book I think the industry needs and, yeah, hopefully we'll um, speak to you very, very soon.
0: I'd love that. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Sean. Thank you so much, Morgan. Thank you. And thank you to everyone that made it to the end. I'm afraid there is no pot of gold. Thank you for (laughs) listening.
1: listening
2: Yes. That was the fantastic Ian Winwood there. Check out his book, Bodies, Life and Death in Music. Like I said in the intro, I'm doing that. It was a fantastic read that made me want to not put the book down. Yeah, it's a book for everybody who's interested in the music scene, would like a little, a little dive into what goes on in the world. Like it's not all fucking roses and money. <laughs> Uh, I laughed when saying money. That's how much (laughs) it's not fucking money's involved. Yeah. Yeah. It's not all sex, drugs and rock. Well, there's a lot of read his book. There's a lot of drugs and stuff in it, but yeah, it's not all the glitz and glamor and the brilliance that you think it is. And if you listen to this podcast and you've listened to episode one of this, you'll know this already, but yes. um, Thank you again to Ian for coming on. We've wanted him on for ages. It's literally just been a scheduling thing. And if Sean could um, concentrate long enough. But when I got the book (laughs) in my hands, I flew through it. So yes, check it out. Bodies, life and death in music. It's fucking cracking. Yes. I really appreciate Ian taking the time
3: and being so open and honest with us and diving into a lot of stuff. He probably wouldn't talk to a lot of other people about as well. So thank you so much for taking the time. And as you mentioned before, I think you'll definitely be a future guest in some other episodes and some different topics and stuff. maybe we can discuss uh, if you're a fan of Green Day if you're a fan of Metallica go and check out with other books as well um, worked very closely with the bands on that and um, I'm excited to see what is next uh, of course if you can think of any other guests from different kind of worlds or different aspects different sides of music that you'd like us to talk to then let us know via our social media pages please at Sapping Pod on Twitter and Instagram and we'll try and see what oh, we I thought
2: can of one. cook oh, up oh the fel- the fella from Metro Station. Miley Cyrus's brother. Miley Cyrus' brother. Shake, 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 shake it, lad. He hasn't got parking. No. Um. Yeah, we should get... Oh, oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, I'll tweet it at Sapper and Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Sorry. I just had an idea in my head. I was like, oh, no, what he's up to? Cyrus. Uh, what's his name? Simon um, t- Cyrus. Simon Cyrus, obviously. Yeah. Uh, Tinker. No. <laughs> that's, like that.
3: that's my right. new stage
2: name. I don't know I don't know I think my how um, have you,
3: I didn't know how you've gone from this to Metro Station either like I don't know what well, we you said
2: <laughs> if you think of a guest or someone we might not yeah. have thought of and I instantly thought oh the fellow from Metro Station <laughs> and I don't know why and then I said well, I'm sorry about <laughs> that carry on more. carry <laughs> on with professionalism I'll Stop. jump in every now and again <laughs> part on Twitter and Instagram I um,
3: think it's talking about shaking things about it's Halloween Trace. soon. It's Trace.
2: Trace. His name is Trace. Trace you know, Cyrus. Like, yeah, like copying a drawing. <laughs> <laughs> like copying a drawing. <sighs>
3: uh, uh, it's Halloween soon.
2: And he's got a lot of <laughs> tattoos that look like makeup. Let's get Trace Cyrus
3: on. You're um you're gonna be busy over Halloween period sean yes yes i am band and dj sets i thought this would be a good place for you to plug it so people can know about it and possibly come and
2: see you yeah that's good thinking that is it's uh professional of you i like it um yes 28th of october me and my friends are going to go and see lost boys that's got nothing to do with you guys so i don't know why i said (laughs) that but i'm going to see lost boys outdoors and then on the 30th of october my band raiders are supporting friends of the podcast the nightmares who have an album coming out. They've just signed, and they've announced they've signed to Equal Vision Records, so Whee! congratulations on that. Come along to that. In La Pub, Newport, The Nightmares, Raiders, and Fox Club. It's going to be a right laugh. I'm not sure how the gothic audience is going to accept me, but I might wear all white that for a laugh, like just to be the complete opposite. And then on October 31st, All Hallows' Eve, Halloween to me and you... My band Raiders is playing in Manchester at the Breadshed um, for Deadbolt's Dark Carnival, which features um, the likes of Downcast. Um, there's a band called Big Drink, which um, if you listen to this, I'm very, very sorry, but that is a terrible name and I'm not accepting it as a real name. That will be headlined by the brilliant uh, Haggard Cat. And then after it, myself, the Deadbolt DJs and the Mighty Creeper are DJing. So what's more Halloween than Creeper DJing? Michael Myers turning up and murdering everyone. I hope that doesn't doesn't happen, though. I don't mind. (laughs) I'm ready to go. So check it out. October 30th, October 31st. Raiders are playing stuff at Raiders Band UK if you want to give us a follow and stuff. Morgan, do you have anything coming up? Um, I'm
3: trying to think of outfits to wear for Halloween. And I'm sure we'll do something Halloween-y soon so we can plan more about that. Um, it was it it was it was mean girls day on october 3rd obviously um and i posted about about my love for mean girls as i always as i always do um at mh richards underscore on twitter and instagram if for some reason you want to see what i'm up to and um please remember to support us here at our patreon page patreon.com forward slash sapnin if you've enjoyed this if you like the rambles It helps us, literally, it helps us make these podcasts each and every week. We try as much as we can to put other content and surprises and bonuses on there as well so you can get back for your subscription. And the amount of love from the community that's happened since we started this thing is absolutely wonderful. We're going to be setting up a live Zoom party with them soon to just kind of reminisce and, and talk with everyone. So if you want to get involved, that's patreon.com forward slash sapnin. If you head to the description of this episode, there is loads of names there that we thank. But as always, Sean is going to give a massive shout out to the elite members of our Sapnin podcast Patreon community. Those are
2: the top tiers. Yes, like Morgan said, if you have enjoyed any of this episode, if you have laughed at all in this episode, or you have learned something that you didn't know Subscribe for a month to the podcast, patreon.com. As Morgan said, massive, massive thank you to these people. Thank you very much. Kylie Wheeler, Mayumi Liwaway, Paul field Mitch Perry, Tony Michael, Snuggle Puddle offers open because bills don't. I don't know if you can advertise um, <laughs> prosti- prostitution on our podcast, um, but it's just happened, i not So, um, thank you very much, Kelly. and Natasha Morris, Nathan Croshaw, Emma Barber, Sammy G, Kat Besson, Dana Lasnava, Jenny Robinson, Murray Grimwood, Hungera Kwa Kafikia Hatua, He, Virginia. Again, Scott Jones hasn't changed his name, I'm still sure that says Vagina. Thank you very much, Amy Dawson, Amy Louise, who messaged me the other day to tell me how shit Mean Girls is and she doesn't understand how anybody would likes it, and I completely agreed. Thank you very much. Tom Owen, Stuart McNaught, M. Evans Roberts, Stephen Aston, who I met the other night in Liverpool. Very nice to meet you. Caroline Robinson, who's good to see you as well in Liverpool as well. Thank you very much. Kate Puttack, Martina McManus, Carl Pendlebury, Louis Cook, Danny Eaton, James McNaught, Kelly Cannon, Jenny Munster, Nia Zanam Sto Ovogavoro, Ali Nesto Oko, Divgeston Jack, Episoda, all right, I don't know what that means, but the last words episode, definitely. So hopefully that I haven't said anything racist or terrible there. I'm very sorry. I just read the words. I don't know what I'm saying. Emily Perry, Jason Aredia, John and Emma, Khalila Keen, Adam King of the Goths, Parslow, the front man of the nightmares. Check them out. Ollie, on Wednesdays, We Were Black would have read my name last week, Amesbury. He hasn't changed his name from a couple of weeks ago and um Ooh. yeah Boo to him not on Wednesdays we <laughs> were black um unless they want a fight for charity <gasps> there's two of them now there's, there's two of two us of now us. equality rules. yes equality Cage. less fucking weapons <laughs> less fuck i'll fight Barbs them wire. I- hey Andy Coppin at Dumb Road Festival. I just thought of an event for the thing. Let's have a fight between podcasts. Anyway, thank you very much. Alice Wood. Josh just got a job at Senior Director at Old McDonald's Farm. I'm the C-I-E-I-O. <laughs> That's I like that. is a good one. That is. I, like I like that. It. Thank you very much. Gary White. Reese Bowling. Kate Stevenson. Kyle waiting on another radar support gig. David Smith. He'll be waiting a while, but we're trying our best not to headline anyway. Thank you very much. Connor Lewins. And last but no means least, Kat Robinson. Thank you very much.
3: Yes, we love every single person in our Patreon and helps us continue to make this. Uh, thank you so much to anyone who's listened this far. Thank you again to Ian winwoods for taking the time. We'll be back next week and every Friday with a new episode, a special guest and a lot of laughs and episode 203 is a big one. Is it? It is. Who is it?
2: It's the... What? <laughs> I can't hear you. I know exactly. what you're saying Just tell me when you finish this. Net. We don't want to tell the fucking. We don't want to tell the scum. Oh shit! We still recorded. We still recorded. Shit! Oh no! What's uh, happening? It's happening. I hope they don't realise I called them scum listeners. I meant. all listening to Sablin podcast with Sean Smith and Morgan Richards thank you very much for downloading this podcast or streaming it or I don't I don't know what else to do with podcasts um, thank you very much